0: Uh, This is a project that I actually began in 2005 um, when I started translating just one of these tales and um, which which uh, was actually published in a uh, a journal called the SOPIS later that year and from there. Um, once I made contact with uh, Boris, Boris Rifften, who is the editor of that volume, um, I, I, I did, we, we collaborated and decided that I would make an English edition of the entire um, volume, the Russian language volume, and that's the the English volume that just um, came out. So. Um, so first, I'd like to begin by talking about the significance of the study of the Dungan folkloric narrative tradition. Um, first, there is the existence of tale types not found in other folkloric traditions. Um, second. Uh, it forms the basis for the development of Dungan written literature in the Soviet period. And third, um, it provides evidence for the complex ethnogenesis of the Dungan and Hui people who are the Sinophone or Chinese-speaking Muslims in Central Asia and China, respectively. Yes. So in today's lecture, I'd like to begin with a brief introduction to the Dungan people and language. Most people are not so familiar with the Dungan people even though they may have heard of them and then I'd like to have a discussion of the general features of Dungan tales and of course this being based um, primarily on Riften's 1977 structural and comparative analysis which um, I just mentioned and which came out in um, Russian. Okay so The the Dungans are descendants of the Hui people or the Sinophone Muslims of China. Uh, The Hui are an ethno-religious group um, numbering approximately 10 and a half million according to the 2011 Chinese census. And as you can see Um, On the map, they are distributed throughout China, mainly in the Northwestern provinces and the Central Plain, the Central Plain being um, Zhongyuan in Chinese. So the Hui are one of 56 ethnic groups officially recognized by the People's Republic of China or PRC. And the PRC government defines the Hui to include all historically Muslim communities not included in China's other groups, such as the Uyghurs, the Tibetans, the Kazakhs, and so on. So so how did the Dungans get to Central Asia? Basically, there were three major waves of migration. The first occurred in the winter of 1877 to 1878 in the immediate aftermath of the failed Dungan Revolt, which lasted from 1862 to 1877. It is also known as the Tong Hui Revolt or Hui Minorities War, and this was fought under the Manchu-led Qing Dynasty. The second major wave of migration occurred during the years 1881 to 1884, um, and this was following the signing of the Treaty of St. Petersburg in 1881. So in accordance with this treaty, which required the withdrawal of Russian troops from the upper Ili Basin, um, the Kulja area, the Dungans, or the Hui, and Taranchi, or Uyghurs, people of the region were allowed the option to move to the Russian side of the border, and many, chose to do so rather than remain under the oppressive Chinese rule. And then the third major migration, which is less well-documented than the first two, occurred in the first part of the 20th century until the border between um, the PRC and the Soviet Union was closed in the early 1960s. And this was uh, following the Great Chinese Famine, which lasted roughly from 1959 to 1961. And on this slide, as on several of the slides in the presentation today, I'm showcasing some of the um, beautiful um, artwork by native Dungan artists. And this is um, an oil painting by Abdus Samad Karimov, Um, which I'm translating as at the beginning. So um, uh, I wanna talk a a little bit about the Dungans um, once they settled in Central Asia. So um, by tradition, the Dungans are Sunni Muslims of the Hanafi school, like most of their Central Asian neighbors. Most of the original Dungan settlers were poor, illiterate peasants or small urban craftsmen from Turpan in Xinjiang, from Gansu Province, and from Shaanxi Province in China. Um, the Dungans have traditionally had large families often with between six and eight children, and they enjoy a reputation as a hard-working and prosperous people. So according to the latest census available as of uh, 2020, there are an estimated 150,000 dungans, and this is the um the the uh, number that I give in my publication as well so the Dungan's live primarily in um in Central Asia in the following three regions in um as you see on the map in Kyrgyzstan many of them in northern Kyrgyzstan so they're being slightly under 74,000 according to the 2020 Kyrgyz census um In Kazakhstan, uh, largely in southeastern Kazakhstan, there being slightly over 72,000 Dungans there, according to the 2019 Kazakh census, and then approximately 3000 Dungans in eastern Uzbekistan, and this is according to 2009 estimates of the Dungan Cultural Center of Uzbekistan, and um, Interestingly, there has been a recent migration of Dungans from Central Asia to Saratov Oblast, which is located in the Southeast of European Russia. This migration beginning only in 2000 and um, counting now slightly over 1600 Dungans in that particular part of Russia in the 2010, all Russian census. And you could see um, the distribution here in the green hatched area on the map. So now I'd like to turn our attention now to the the language um, of the Dungans. So Xiao Arjing is the uh, Perso-Arabic script originally used by the Dungans, which they brought over with them from China. And um, this literally means a children's script um, in, in Chinese um, or minor script, and it was it's been primarily used for the annotating of religious text prior to the Soviet periods by the Dungans. Um, And what you see on the screen now is an excerpt from a Chinese Arabic Arjing dictionary published in 1955 in Shanghai. So there was no official written form for literary purposes for the Dungans until the Soviet period. So during the years 1928 to 1929, As the Kyrgyzis, Kazakhs, and other Turkic-speaking peoples of the Soviet Union were adopting the Latinized alphabet known as the New Turkic Alphabet or New Alphabet, the Dungans adopted a Latinized alphabet based on the New Turkic Alphabet but adapted for languages of peoples of non-Turkic origin, and that's what you see at the bottom half of the screen. So by 1932, the new Latin Hua began to replace the first Latin alphabet. The Latin Hua movement was spurred on by the fact that Muscovite political workers at the Scientific Research Institute on China, a unit of the Communist Academy, were joined by highly qualified linguists and Sinologists from the Academy of Sciences in Leningrad. And this second version of the Latin alphabet um, was tweaked to better suit the sounds of Dungan being a Sinitic or Chinese language as opposed to a Turkic language. Um, From 1939 on, the Cyrillic alphabet gradually replaced the various Latin alphabets for all the national minority languages in the Soviet republics of Central Asia. The most important motivation for this switch was the desire of the Soviet government to facilitate making Russian a unified language of the USSR by having a single alphabet taught in elementary schools for Russian and the minority languages. So with the change delayed in some areas by the war and its aftermath, the implementation of a new Dungan alphabet based on the Russian script with five additional letters uh, did not occur until 1953. And it was, again, tweaked, this Cyrillicized Dungan alphabet, and there was a a final version officially adopted in 1955. And to this day, that is the alphabet that is used um, for uh, Dungan writing and Dungan literature. So um, Dungan is notably the only Sinitic or Chinese language that is officially written using an alphabet or in linguistics, what's called a morphophonemic system instead of Chinese written characters, which constitute a morphosyllabic system. And there's been quite a bit of attention from researchers Um, on the Dungan language because of this um, very interesting fact. Um, An eternal diglossic situation stems from the fact that Dungans are divided between two major dialects, the Gansu dialect spoken mainly in Kyrgyzstan and the Shanxi dialect predominantly spoken in Kazakhstan while nearly half of the young generation today has little or no mastery of Dungan and can only speak Russian and sometimes also perhaps Kyrgyz or Kazakh. And uh, the Dungan language today is listed by UNESCO as a definitely endangered language which is a language where the speakers are mostly of the parental generation. Okay, so now I'd like to start talking about the, the study that's reported in um, uh, the Dungan Folk Tales and Legends um, volume. So the the main editor of the volume is Boris Livovich Riftin, who lived from 1932 until 2012. Um, he is a pioneer in the study of Chinese popular literature, folklore, and visual culture. And he is um, a doctor of philological sciences, who is known to many as Li Fuqing. Um, because he was so um, uh, fluent in uh, Chinese that he actually authored several um, scholarly works in um, the Chinese language. The, um, his, Two uh, collaborators on the massive sort of uh, Russian language volume, which I tr- which I've translated and put out in English, um, includes Mahmoud Akhmedovich Hassanov, who lived from 1932 to 1977. Um, he was a Dungan writer, literary scholar, and candidate of philological sciences. He. Um, is considered a leading expert in Dungan folklore and also an influential Soviet Dungan prose writer of the 1960s and 1970s. And then the third collaborator on the volume um, is Ilyas Ismailovich Yusupov, who lived from 1930 until 2005. He was a Dungan historian and candidate of historical sciences. He was a prolific researcher in Dungan history and philology who published more than 100 scholarly works during his lifetime. Okay, so now I'd like to move to the uh, discussion of the uh, analysis of Dungan folk narratives, which are contained in Riften's 1977 volume. Um, These tales are classified in Riften's Russian language edition in 1977 uh, and in my English language edition, according to the Arne Thompson folktale classification system, which was in use at the time. Um, It's been updated um, since. And the findings in a a, um, nutshell are that there is a firm rooting of these Dungan folk narratives in Chinese storytelling traditions but that they also show substantial Middle Eastern, East Asian and Central Asian influence. And we you will see this as we go through the, the latter part of this presentation where I'll talk about the specific features. So the, the Russian edition of 1977 and then my English language edition in 2021 um, Both include 78 Dungan folk stories that have been translated into Russian collaboratively by Riftin, Hasanov, and Yusupov with, uh, as I mentioned, Riftin as the main editor. And there is also a um, critical introduction and analysis uh, by Riftin and Hasanov. And it came out um, in 1977, in Moscow by by Nauka Publishers as part of its series titled Tales and Myths of Eastern Peoples. So here I'd like to just speak uh, uh, briefly about the um, several editions of the Dungan Tales with Critical Analysis that have been published. So on the left of the screen, you see the cover of the 1977 edition, which I've already discussed and which my own 2021 English language edition is based on. Then there was in 2013, a second edition published and that the cover for that is in the middle of the screen. And then on the right, you see the cover of a 2018 abridged edition, which only contains those Tales that were specifically translated by Riften, and then there has also been international attention paid to these tales. So on the left side, you see the um, the cover of a Chinese language edition that was published in 2011, Ji, uh, which means. Uh, collected folk stories and legends of the Dungans. This was edited by Riftin under his Chinese name, Li Fuqing, and translated by Haifeng. And this was published in Shanghai by the Shanghai Literature and Art Publishing House. And this um, was uh, published shortly before Riftin's passing in the fall of 2012. And he um, excitedly, actually, greeted me with the New Year's of 2012 with uh, an email, letting me know, in fact, that this particular edition had just come out in Shanghai, and that and that he he actually uh, 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 verified my mailing address here in the U.S. and and had a copy sent to me directly from the publisher. And of course, the my English language edition um, that that, um, came out in 2021. And that cover is shown on the right. That particular um, title, Dugan Folk Tales and Legends, um, appears in the Peter Lang International Folkloristics Series, um, volume 16. And so what I would like to do just very briefly is take you through um, the table of uh, contents of the 20 my 2021 English language edition. So it's it's broken up into three um, large chapters according to the tale types. And it really more or less it replicates the way that it was done in the 1977 Russian language edition by Riften. So the first section it contains, 40 selections, which I've, I've calling Wonder Tales and Animal Tales. So what you see on the slides here are the first 20 selections and then the next 20 selections. Okay. This, uh, the second um, large um, chapter Um, I've called Novelistic Tales, Folk Anecdotes, and Adventure Stories. This particular chapter contains 27 selections, which you, uh, all of which you can see on the screen here. And finally, the third uh, chapter contains what I'm calling legends, historical tales, and narratives, narratives being translated from the Russian skazi or the colloquial sort of uh, third person narratives. Um, uh, Many of these are the longer selections so that this particular chapter is not much shorter than than the first two, even though it only contains the 11 selections here. Okay, so now I'd like to move to a discussion of the general features of Dungan folk narratives, which is um, discussed in Eriftin and Hasanov's critical introduction to the um, Russian language edition. So first um, I'd like to talk about tale typology. So Dungan categorization of oral prose narratives is into two basic types, the first being gujie, or which are typical folk tales, um, the, the shorter type tales, and then fou which can be compared with Beijing Shu, which means um, uh, uh, book stories. So here, storytelling to music in the in the Chinese tradition or those stories with a basis in the Chinese literary tradition and therefore the longer selections. Second, I'd like to discuss um, origins. So um, there are both Far Eastern and Near Eastern sources for these Dungan tales. And this reflects the complex ethnogenetic and cultural ties of the Dungans. Um, There is also a down-to-earth nature of the fiction of the Dungan tale, especially a wonder tale. And this links it to the folklore of Far Eastern peoples. So the action in Dungan tales, as for instance in Chinese tales, takes place not in some distant and unknown realm, a land of fantasy, but rather all the uncommon occurrences happen with the hero or protagonist nearby in places native and familiar to the storyteller. Third, I'd like to um, briefly discuss narrative time. So there is a general lack of localization in time in the Dungan stories. So this is in contrast to the tales of a number of peoples of the Far East. For example, the Chinese and Koreans who are generally inclined toward legend or tradition, which are often specifically indicate the time of the action. For example, during a particular dynasty or under a particular ruler, a a particular story happens. In Dungan tales, wonder tales and everyday tales, whose connection with legend is considerably weaker, these kinds of introductions localizing the action in time are hardly ever found. The tale usually begins simply with words like there once was, or in the old days there was, attributing the action to an indefinite pastime. Fourth, I'd like to um, briefly discuss physical landscape. So the world of the Dungan tale has its own specific landscape. And part of that landscape is the frightening and dangerous mountains. And this can be compared with the frightful forest in European tales. Then there is also the plain, which is usually inferred rather than specifically described in a Dungan tale. There is also mention of the sea, but interestingly, not, no lakes or rivers. And one of those seas that is um, quite often mentioned is the East China Sea, which is where the Dragon King or in Dungan Wan, dwells. And then there is also mention of cities. And when a city is mentioned, it's usually an abstract quaint Chinese city rather than a specifically named one. So, Then there, um, I would like to speak fifth about some of the common character types that appear in these Dungan folk narratives. So you will meet farmers, shepherds, petty traders, woodcutters, hunters, keepers of coaching inns, bandits, officials and sovereigns, among other characters. Um, There is, however, scant mention of craftsmen, of whom there were many before among the Dungans, but there is frequent mention of petty traders, for example, owners of small shops or those walking around the villages with a yoke and baskets, selling fabrics, decorations or other trifles. And then you will, uh, the reader will also note the prevalence of coaching inns generally with their innkeepers and assorted guests as the place where the action in many tales occurs. Um, Next, there is um, the uh, frequent appearance of different types of immortals. For example, Shen Xian, uh, which is always portrayed as a positive character, and also the Holy Hezir, whose depiction is typical in Near Eastern and Central Asian folklore generally. And then, of course, there are the many fantastical characters um, um, in these Dungan folktales, uh, there are first monsters elementally linked with Far Eastern mythology. For example, shape shifting Jing, who seduced their victims, and uh, and also shape shifting Yogwai who forcefully adopt people, and also Ye Mao Ren, the hairy wild man cannibal. Then there are also Monsters common in Central Asian folklore that you find in these Dungan tales. For example, Menguzi, a seven headed monster who can be um, compared with the Mongolian Mongoose and Gansu Mangor Manguzi. And then there are also. Uh, fantastical characters of the Near Eastern and Middle Eastern mythological sphere. For example, um, giants Dai Zi, uh, whose name is derived from the Iranian Dev. Um, then as I've already mentioned, there is the Dragon King Lun Wan, the master of water whose depiction emerged on far Eastern soil, but under the influence of Indo-Buddhist mythological religious beliefs. And then just finally, um, there are fantastical characters linking Dungan folklore with the Turkic. For example, Tuzi, um, a bald head or mangy person, um, who can be compared with the old Turkic Taz, um, a cunning trickster or lucky cheat. And then the, um, the reader will encounter um, uh, just many familial relations that exemplify the idea of filial piety and punishment for undutiful children. And this has been mainstreamed under the influence of Confucianism. Six, I'd like to discuss um, individual motifs and plots of the Dungan tales. So um, there is the depiction of the societal relations of old China in modified form. For example, heroes or protagonists encountering officials or emperors who seem closer to the common people than in the tales of the Chinese. And then there is also frequent mention um, of two kingdoms and two sovereigns, respectively possibly preserving memories of the periods of temporary fragmentation in China in the Middle Ages or memories of ancient tribal chiefs or clan leaders in the south of China. This is according to Eberhard in 1937 or perhaps simply the borrowing of plots from the folklore of neighboring non-Far Eastern peoples, presumably mainly Turkic peoples. Um, then we uh, there is also the hero going straight to the capital and uh, easily obtaining the title of Zhongyuan or the number one scholar in what is depicted as a much less complex system of government examinations than in reality. Um, This is a possible link between the popularity of the Yuan in Dungan Tales and the influence of Chinese ancient drama and the traditional auspicious popular print. There is also An often positive and deferential attitude towards the Yuanwai, who is a typical character who might be compared with the Panishik of the Russian tale. And there is also the infrequent appearance um, of the Ahun, a Muslim clergyman who might be compared with a mullah whose depiction is never found in Chinese folklore or Far Eastern folklore generally. And then finally, um, the reader will encounter folklore characters of neighboring peoples readily entering the world of the Dungan tale. For example, lamas, Buddhist monks, and Taoist monks who can all identify shapeshifters and fight them with the help of different spells and other magical means. Seventh, I'd like to make a few comments about color symbolism. So red and green um, are bright colors in these tales that scare away evil spirits and protect from adversity. So for example, the reader will see these colors in the bride's attire or in the paint on the wagons or in um, the horse harness. White is the color of mourning among the Dungans and the Chinese. White is also associated with fantastical animals. For example, um, a white snake, a white rabbit, or a white horse, um, all of whom typically help the hero or the protagonist in some way. Black is mainly applied to negative characters and phenomena. So for example, um, the reader will, will encounter a black snake, a black whirlwind or a black fool, which is an abusive form of address for the Dragon King. Yellow is a color portending doom. So for example, um, there will be mention of a yellow whirlwind carrying the heroine away, um, or a yellow countenance indicating contact with a vampire shapeshifter. Uh, finally, blue and the closely related green are colors associated with dark forces. Um, for, so for example, um, the reader will encounter a monster's blue or green face, um, green smoke accompanying the appearance of a monster, um, or the soul of the hero or protagonist's enemy Ascending into the sky with a trickle of blue smoke. And uh, eighth, and finally, I'd like to make a few comments about number symbolism. So three is a is typical in the epic storytelling of various peoples, and is encountered quite frequently in these Dungan tales. Seven is also often mentioned and is more peculiar to Far Eastern folklore. Seventy two is another number that is often mentioned. And then there is also um, quite frequent mention of nine and its derivatives, especially 99. Um, So often mentioned, for example, uh, is um, a reference such as 99 people destroyed by an evil monk in a tale um, or 99 iron chariots thrown into a river by a hero warrior. Um, all of these, with nine as the base odd or masculine number in um in ancient Chinese um philosophy that formed the basis for counting in ancient China. Um, and ah uh, finally, I, I, I would like to direct any of you to my professional website. Um, at kjy.georgetown.domains, if you are interested in knowing more about um, my work with the Dungans, um, including the folk narratives, as well as my more recent publication, you know, Mystical Forest, which is um, a collection of poems and short stories by uh, the preeminent Dungan ethnographer Ali John, um, or and other. Um, research that I'm also pursuing. So uh, please feel free to visit my website. And um, and uh, there's also links to the um, wonderful artists that I've been showcasing today during my um, presentation. Here you see a beautiful oil painting by Khalida Shimova, who is a female Dungan artist. And you saw earlier um, Panchayev and also Karimov. And I've put links to their um, social media and or websites on my um, Dungan studies website. And thank you so very much.